Blog Talk Radio. John to start off the show. I was feeling in the mood for Elton John, and I just like the guy. I think he's a great artist, and uh, I was listening to him earlier today. My wife loves Elton John, and if he ever comes to D.C., I think he might. We're going to try to see him in concert, so I did a little tiny dancer tonight. Um, welcome back to a Minor Detail Radio. My name is Ryan Minor, and tonight is a unique show. I have the creator of Maryland's Facebook page the uh or the group rather uh, barry o'connell he's going to join me on the show and if you've been following the maryland politics facebook page i'm sure you have seen barry's commentary and maybe some of you are unsure about who barry is or <laughs> some of his takes on politics but we're going to get into all that and tonight i'm just going to go ahead and we'll introduce barry uh, o'connell who i believe it's the first time He's ever appeared on a minor detail radio. Barry, hey, nice to have you tonight. It is a singular honor. This is my first time. <laughs> I am a virgin tonight, so I am ready to <laughs> ready for it. <laughs> well, we're, it's a pleasure having you. And yeah, you know, I thought about this for quite some time, and I thought to myself, well, Barry is his commentary is pretty interesting, and he has an impact on Maryland politics. And I'll tell you a brief story as an intro into this show. A few weeks ago, I was having lunch with a good friend of mine, and we were over in PG County. And my friend said, do you follow Barry O'Connell? I'm like, yeah, everybody follows Barry O'Connell. And, I, and he said, well, you know, I, I was talking about how he's really impacted Maryland politics through the Facebook group Maryland politics. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, people, people follow. And I said, well, I have to agree. He sparks controversy. He gives great content. It's fresh. It's always up to date. The page, the page never goes stagnant. So, and I said, and he said, you know, he's really having an impact on Maryland politics, much the same way that bloggers and new media is also impacting uh, Maryland politics. And then we got into a long discussion about a minor detail and how I've, I've had the opportunity to break some close, some, some pretty good stories in the last couple of uh, months or over the last year. So Barry, your, your, your Facebook group, Maryland politics is one of the most watched politics groups in, in the state of Maryland. It has almost 5,000 members at, as its current standing 
and has 4,546 members. And if you go to your, if you go to Facebook now, and if you want to join, just go to Maryland Politics, and then you'll see the public group. And I don't know if you can join automatically or if an administrator yourself has to approve somebody, but this is where the conversation is taking place. And we just had a gubernatorial election. You follow elections all over the state. And your primary wheelhouse tends to be Montgomery County, Prince George's County, Baltimore County, the gubernatorial race between Larry Hogan and Ben Jealous, and you know, some other ancillary um, out, outward counties, uh, maybe Western Maryland, a little bit of the Eastern Shore, some Anne Arundel, but mostly it's what I described. So, Barry, thanks for doing the show. It, it is a real pleasure to, to talk with you. And so I wanted people to hear directly from you because – there's a there's a there's an interesting take on you, Barry. You're you're controversial because you often write and say what's on your mind, and that's somewhat refreshing. But let's just be honest, you you probably pissed off a few people as I have in Maryland <laughs> politics. Oh my goodness! So, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so let's go. Let's start from the very beginning. What was your impetus? What was the spark behind creating? The Maryland Politics Facebook group, and as I mentioned, that has four thousand five hundred and forty-six people as, as as of tonight. Wow! Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, it was Jolene Ivy. Yeah. I I love Jolene Ivy. I lived around the corner from her in Chevrolet, Maryland, and our kids played together, and she was close with my wife, and seemed like either my kids were up at you know over at her house, or you know back and forth all the time. And what I found out was I took a real strong like to this one character, Jack Johnson. You know, um, he ended up going to prison after being uh, Prince George's County executive. And when the FBI caught his wife, she had something like $78,000 stuffed in her underwear. And, you know, that's one side of, of, of Prince George's County politics. And then you get over to the other side. Now, I watched the Ivies, you know, as you do with a neighbor and parents of your, uh, your kids' friends. They never played that dirty game. They never – there was no big chunks of extra off-the-books money coming in. They lived on what they made. They were, they were good, decent, hardworking, God-fearing people, and I came to love them. So when um, – about the time she was looking at running for um, uh, a lieutenant governor, that was when I really started pushing the group. And I did it so mostly so I could have a say, a say in, in the politics. And, you know, it just turned out to be fun. It really turned out to be fun. Um, I'm going to let you in on one of the secrets. Yeah. In my group, I have very clearly defined good guys – and I also have to have bad guys. So, like, you can't say nice things. You know, you can't say, oh, Jolene is wonderful. Peter Franchot is wonderful. Isn't that Lynn Foxwell just a, a great guy? you got to come back. And, you know, so I picked out bad guys. And some of them were like George Leventhal. I mean, it's so easy to paint George as a bad guy. But, unfortunately, Ben Jealous. I don't like Ben Jealous. Well, I don't. I mean, I pray for him. But, you know, he, he just drives me crazy with that Bernie, <laughs> Bernie Kratt nonsense. You know, he, he lies to people, flat out lies to people. And he assumes people are so stupid that they won't pick up on it. But um, well, I sure. don't know how much we want to bash poor Ben. But, you know, I mean, I'm with well, – I, I thought we would go right into it. 
Was that? Yeah, I, I thought we would go right into to, to Red Jimmy Tarlow, who, by the way, we used oh, that <laughs> that moniker. <laughs> Lynn Foxwell and I, when we did our live show on election night at Wet City in Baltimore, and I want to thank those guys again for allowing us to set up shop and take over a quadrant of their restaurant and their Wi-Fi. And when we did our live show, Red, uh, Red Jimmy Tarlow was the most commonly used moniker all night when we were following the election <laughs> results. And we just accredited We said, thank you, Barry O'Connell, for giving us that name. Um, <laughs> to, to how do we identify uh Jimmy Tarlow, who is a sitting delegate who actually lost his race in District 47A, and he yep. is, uh, and then Julian Ivey, who you mentioned or of the Ivey family earlier, he won that election, and it was a, a well-fought, great campaign. A young guy, um, Julian Ivey is, he's, I believe, 22 or 23 years old. Um, he'll be graduating from the University of Maryland, I believe, in December comes from a prominent political PG County family, ran one of the best races I have seen. He ran as a true progressive and look, he worked his butt off just like his mom did, just like his father has. So I see Julian having a bright career and it's sort of nostalgic in a way that he's going to represent the same legislative district that his mom represented for, I believe eight or 12 years. I got to tell you my, um, uh, you know, one quick Julian Ivy story. Um, when I first moved into Chevrolet, you know, we were getting everything set, and I just thought it was a Saturday. And um, the phone rings, and a man introduces himself as Glenn Ivy, and he explains that he lives around the corner, and he's got a boy the same age as my son, Max. And they wanted to invite Max over for a play date. And I said, well, sure. And they ended up coming on up to pick up Max. And you've got to understand, I mean, you've got kids, so you know what I'm talking about. These were the first <laughs> non-family who my son ever went anywhere with, except for like babysitters, but babysitters you pay and you control. These were the first people that my son Max ever went on a play date with without usually my wife going along or at least dropping him off or that sort of thing. And um, I'll never forget Glenn Ivy and a little, he was probably just almost five-year-old Julian came right. up to pick up my son, Max. So, I mean, I've known him since he was a little kid. I knew him when he was a, a star on Broadway. I've, I've watched the kid grow up, and he's not a kid anymore. He's an extremely fine man. Let me also mention something about, um, about that race. District 47 is 71% black, okay? Red Jimmy Tarlow is 100% white. Okay, and he decided that he was going to push Julian out of the race because a black man should not represent a black district. You know, that should be reserved for old white socialists. So he gets on the phone and he gets Ben jealous to put the pressure on Julian. Now, Julian was was a Bernie Sanders delegate. Right. Okay. so, yes, I do support Bernie Sanders people. But, you know, they tried to pressure Julian out of the race and it was a dirty deal. And I'm glad he outworked them. And he's he's just a great person. I want things to be fair. I mean, I firmly believe in 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 civil rights and human rights. And I believe that we don't need me or anybody else coming in and trying to rule a district. We should let the people who live there rule that district. I mean, if that makes Um, any sense at all. It sure does. And Barry, you know, it's atypical for this early in the show to have. 
someone call in and people have our phone number to the show and I, I often talk to them. And, and so if it's okay with you, I, I'm going to patch. I, I don't know who calls in. It's just kind of at random. So maybe somebody wants to call in and ask you a question or talk to you. If it's cool with you, I'm going to go ahead and patch them in. I just hope they don't yell at me. <laughs> uh, th- well, if that happens, I will, I, I will politely yell back. So um, to whomever is calling in, last four digits, 1202, you're welcome to – you're on a minor detail radio with Barry O'Connell. Well, hi there. My name is Patricia Washington. Great to talk with you and also my dear friend Barry. Um, Barry. Okay. Hi, Patricia. <laughs> hi there. This is a great conversation. God bless you, Patricia. You are one of my favorites. You know, she is one of the hardest working people in all of District 47. I mean, she is the heart and soul. She took um, um, – she just did an incredible job. Patricia, you really have a lot to be proud of. Well, we all have to do our part, you know. This is what – when you're passionate about something, it just shows. It's not concocted. And it's not for show. It's just what I wake up thinking of, what can I do differently or to, you know, empower someone in my neighborhood or in the community. And so we don't have enough of those happening, and this is why this conversation or this platform that we're afforded by Mr. Minor is just fantastic. Oh, Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate it, and it's fascinating to hear um, what you guys were just uh, discussing when I joined in. I just want to say that Prince George's County, you know, I'm reeling from the results, obviously, and um, I feel like I've been punched. Knowing everything that I know of 30 years in this county, I kind of know the nuances, and my conclusion was, um, you know, corruption is still alive and well in this county. And unless unless someone like us the, dare to bring it to the forefront and uh, address it, you know, we can't talk around it. We can't talk through it. we got to get to the bottom line because people are not being helped. On Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, all I can think of are the folks who are losing their homes like a tsunami in this county under the previous administration or the one that's there now that didn't give a care, self-included. And so when I launched my advocacy about seniors who need to age in place, they've paid their debt to society, they've paid taxes, albeit I live in Chevrolet and been here for 20 years, it's not okay for them to turn a blind eye when there's no safety net for folks who, you know, for no fault of theirs, you know, you lost a job, you have an illness or whatever happens, life happens, and no safety net after you've paid almost $5,000 a year for taxes every year. And there's nothing that you can do or no one you can turn to. Um, and, you know, full disclosure is I live four streets over from the current county executive who didn't give a care who didn't give a care needed my vote wanted my vote the three times that he ran he came and we had that talk his his himself and his wife and then when i needed him he wasn't there and people wanted to know why i was so adamant of forgetting elected because he cared he went beyond the call I called, I talked to everyone else, including Mike Miller, who sent me to another person, like Brian Frost. I went up the food chain. 
The yeah. only person that came and sat on my porch and said, Patricia, how can I help you, was Victor Ramirez. And mm. that's why... Victor, I, Victor is a really good man, Patricia. You know, and I, I hope he keeps keeps his hand in. I hope he's considering running again. Or I mean, there's got to be a next step there. You know... Well, how do you come against this machine? How do you... I mean, we've got someone who is, you know, inept. The, the, the whole administration is rife with ineptitude. But, yes, you have someone who's going to prop her up. She has no clue what to do, no nuances of a courtroom. I mean, what is it that we're having? So the people who are going to lose out are the folks who are, are just waiting for someone to come in and say, you know what, we're not going to prosecute these nonviolent crimes. We cannot jail our way out of this court system. These people go to jail, they come back. Don't get excited because we're putting them away, because they come back. Then what? So we're not going to have justice reform. We're not. We're going to have business as usual. And can you tell how fired up I am? <laughs> I can tell that. I intend well, to continue this. I, well, I am not letting up. I will hold them accountable. I want to know what the first 100 days agenda will be. I'm ready. I'm ready. Wow. And Victor's going to take a break, but we will. We will establish an umbrella, a coalition that's going to be inclusive, and people are going to get their issues addressed. And like I said, we're going to go forward. He doesn't have to have the state's attorney title to get the job done. Well, I appreciate that. And thanks so much for being part of the show and for your accolades on Barry. You're welcome to call in at any time, and we're happy to have you and I appreciate your listenership. So I'm going to get back to Barry, but thanks again for calling in. Outstanding, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks. Have a great week. Okay, Barry, first call. That's that's typically it, more so the calls tend to happen after the 930 mark, but that's okay. Barry, I want to talk about you, your, your kind of your personal upbringing, your career, how you got started in politics. Talk to us about where you grew up your upbringing, and your career trajectory. Okay, I got to tell you, you know, it started back, I guess, in the 1920s or 1930s because my great-grandfather was the Democratic ward uh, boss of West Scranton. Um, And he and the Republican city councilman lived half a block apart, and the two of them used to divide up the problems of the world as it applied to West Scranton. And go from there. Now, now that now that Republican city councilman's um, his his name happened to be Hugh Rodham, and mm. his granddaughter did pretty well with herself, you know. Um, yeah, Hillary. But we go back a long way. I mean, I grew up. I went to the same grade school and same church as Joe Biden, um, and uh, Hillary Clinton's father, Hugh Jr. Um, um, saved my mother's life when she was a toddler before, you know when she was still in a in a crib because he was the paper boy and spotted smoke coming out of the house first thing you know before everyone was up woke up everybody in the house got them out and he and my grandfather went out on the porch to go in that way because they couldn't get to my mother's room otherwise and they got her out alive um so i grew up in a family where like like 12 years old one, you know, one of my aunts calls me and says, um, we need you to do poll cards, you know, stand at the poll and pass out cards for the slate. 
You know, that's right. how they did it in Scranton. I got my $25 and I fell in love with politics. And, you know, my <laughs> whole family had sort of had their fingers in it. Um, and I just fell in love with it. Um, I grew up with it. And then, Ryan, I've got some serious problems, okay? I mean, I'm seriously screwed up in a few ways. I'm going to be honest with you about it. Um, I've got a form of dyslexia called dysgraphia. Um, mm. I can't write. I mean, if I go to write a letter, um, it comes out in – the words come out in the wrong order. Um, and that was disastrous for me. School was a disaster. Uh, growing up was a disaster. About the only thing I liked was politics, public speaking, that sort of thing. But as far as having to write anything down, um, it wasn't until I was in my 30s and the computers came out and I got a computer and found out that the problem was not nearly as severe on a computer as it is with a pen and paper. I mean, I, I, mean, I was the village idiot uh, back in the pen and paper days. But, you know, I loved politics. Um, I got in a, I was doing the George McGovern campaign. I was a student coordinator. I was, uh, I think I was 15 years old. Um, and, um, uh, had a wonderful time. Uh, you know, at one point I also was a consultant to the John Kerry campaign. I ran the databases on the John wow. Kerry campaign. And, I did not um, know that. Oh no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do all this stuff. I, I don't talk about it a lot. Uh, on, on election night, we're sitting around in the John Kerry campaign, and I had this weird contract. I had to work. I had to start every day at 9 o'clock. I usually had worked until 9 o'clock. I was doing 12-hour days. I was doing 90, 91 hours a week, okay? But I'd go home at 9. Um, I'd lay out the work for all the other DBAs. They'd do the work afterwards. And so, you know, we finally get it. You know, it's finally election day. There's no work left to be done. So we're sitting around and still billing, um, which always makes it sweet. And um, I say to one of the young guys, you know, I said, this is a lot like the George McGovern campaign, except except I never smell marijuana and there's no folk music. <laughs> and the kid looks at me with a completely straight face. It goes, That's well, funny. gee, Mr. O'Connell, you leave pretty early. <laughs> Well, that is funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so tell me about your career. What, what? Aside from working in politics, I know that you have worked in some pretty fascinating areas. And if you can talk about it, Barry. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I went from being the village idiot to getting into computers, to finding out I had a talent for computers. And then I've got sort of this idiot savant thing going. I can take a look at a high-performance database for Fortune 500 companies or, or the government and figure out why it's running slowly, which oftentimes those systems run pretty slowly. And then for years they've been bringing me in, and I come on in and I make it run fast. And that's been fun. So. Um, I specialize in high-performance databases, and I've done this sort of thing. But when I was doing the McGovern campaign, I almost died in a bike crash. Um, I had actually wanted to go into the Army, and because of some pretty severe injuries, like my, um, my thumb on my right hand got cut off and reattached. Wow. You know, I mean, it works fine now. But, you know, I couldn't get in the Army. I mean, I couldn't pass the physical. So... Um, in the 80s, um, 
I heard that a buddy of mine had just gotten to be head of of um Oh dear. I forget the name of the group. It was um, started by Ronald Reagan, and we were going to do a non-governmental aid to the brave freedom fighters in Nicaragua. Oh. Okay, so we're, so we're going to help these Sandinista? guys out. Uh, well, you know, uh, the Contras. We were helping the yeah. Contras against the Sandinistas. So anyway, right. um, I get a hold of my buddy, and it's like, hey, I never got to join the Army, but what, what the heck? A, you know, a Central American Revolution sounds like fun. So um, – um, nah, it's not like I was marching around in the jungle with a gun or anything, but, you know, I mean, I got to go down a few times. I helped raise money for it. I helped do public relations. I helped organize things. I mean, I just had a lot of fun with that. Um, I believe that a man should be willing to have adventures. You know, God gives us opportunities. And um, I'm pleased that I had the opportunity to help fight communism, or as we now call it, democratic socialism. Central America. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. Oh, of course. Um, later on, um, I somehow accidentally became one of the world's top experts on oriental rugs. Um, and I spent years developing theories on, um, on the political, social, and um, cultural aspects of the Middle East. Um, I was working at the State Department on a project when we went into Afghanistan. And it's um, they were sort of amazed to find out that the computer guy knew more about the tribes of Afghanistan than the CIA guys did because the CIA was basically <laughs> clueless. When, you know, when we went into Afghanistan, they had determined that there were four ethnic groups. I had determined that there were 43 ethnic groups. So <laughs> – I get a call. Ryan was funny. I get a call from a buddy of mine in the agency, and um, um, I've never worked for the agency. So if anybody suspects that, no, never, not, not, not at all. Um, so I get a call from a guy at the agency. He goes, Barry, if we took Tajiks from the Herat area and Tajiks from the Panjshir Valley in Afghanistan and put them in the same room, what would happen? I said, oh, dear <laughs> God, they'd kill each other. He goes, that's exactly what happened. The one group assassinated the other group's general in front of the agency guys in a meeting. I mean, we went in completely clueless, and nobody knew who these people were. And, um, um, oh, I'm also a Christian. Um, anyway, I, because I traveled in the Middle East and did a lot of stuff over there and kept track of things and knew who the groups were because I was studying the weaving, I could tell who, who these groups were. And I ended up working with a group called Summers Institute of Linguistics. Um, which is also they published the ethnologue. Um, that was really fun because one of the things was was that most people don't know it, but um, through Summers Institute of Linguistics, most of the major missionary groups worldwide, Christian missionary groups, filter all their information on language and other details. They gather intelligence and they filter it back to Texas where it's where it's tracked and used by the Summers Institute of Linguistics to create the ethnologue, which is the list of all the languages of the world. The right. CIA refuses to have anything to do with these people because they're missionaries. You know, separation of church and state, you can't trust those crazy people. Well, because I had this huge amounts of information from the missionaries, when we went into Afghanistan, I had far better intelligence about a lot of that stuff than they did. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I had been working with Ahmed Shah Massoud, who got killed right, um, you know, at the arrow just before we got into the war. Um, but that's that's another story. Ask ask me another question. I don't want to well, I don't want to tie it up with my crazy stuff. Well, no, I mean, I think this is what makes you new, unique, Barry. People wonder about you. They want to know who the hell you are and just what exactly it is, where you're coming from, what's your angle. People, uh, and it's good though because people can't put their finger on you. They know you're a Democrat. They know that you're involved in Maryland politics, and you have this very unique and interesting and just kind of out of this world backstory. And they just don't quite understand how a guy with this many opinions just kind of says what's on his mind. And that's we live in very polite society. Maryland is one of those states where nobody ever wants to say anything that might hurt someone else's feelings. I understand that. I exactly. appreciate that. We live in very polite society here in Maryland politics, but you have done a, a remarkable job of just kind of saying what sometimes many of us are thinking, but we may not always write it. And, you know, you've been, let's see, let me go just go down. You have been accused uh, in this election cycle. And I want to say during the primary of uh, being, sexist you you know you've been you've kind of taken on Allison Galbraith who was running for the first congressional district over um yeah the which is Andy Harris's seat currently and you know you you've gotten a tussle with them you've gotten tussles with people from Montgomery County and you you know people have said oh Barry O'Connell is this and Barry O'Connell is that and I said well you know what if you think all these things well, why don't we just take the opportunity to talk to Barry directly and you know what you and i have even gone toe-to-toe before and it was all in good humor and then finally you and i had the opportunity we met at a democratic breakfast uh around the time it was back in may and i remember specifically i believe it was the sunday before kevin caminus passed away because um that's the former guest um, the 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 late Caminants passed away on a on Thursday, May the tenth, and the breakfast was held that Sunday prior to the day he he died. So you and I sat at the same table. Um, the very kind Dave Coons of the Montgomery County Central Committee, uh, the Democratic Central Committee, who I believe is the chair, he had invited me, and I graciously gracefully and and uh accepted his invitation i went and i'm like holy cow there's barry o'connell we got a picture together and from there on you and i have been pretty good friends and we've talked and i said you know what do you think about this race and what do you think about that race but some people barry have accused you of stirring the pot being inflammatory putting putting out information that is not always factually correct but what what should people make of your style online, Barry? Okay. Um, I am deliberately a change agent in the culture. I mean, that's my goal. My goal is to be a change agent. I want people to think. I want people to come up with their own ideas. Look, I support Bernie people, but there's some Bernie people who just don't deserve to be supported, and I love women, but there's some women who don't deserve to be elected to office. Um, I have, and this always sounds hokey when some white guy says, I have a lot of black friends, but you know, I actually have supported, if you take a look at the people I've supported this year, I've supported a lot of black candidates and I believe in them, but some of them, not so much. I mean, there's other people who I'm not going to support. 
I'm not going to just say, oh, I'm a Democrat. I have to support this person or that person. I'm going to go with the things that I think are important. And um, I am a classic liberal. Okay, And some people don't understand the difference between a classic liberal and a liberal and a conservative. Let me put it this way. I believe in a safety net. I believe that we owe it to every man, woman, and child of the state of Maryland to be there to reach down with our hand and help pull them up when they need it. We need a safety net. But Ryan, some people want to turn that into a, a hammock. Let them lay on it for the rest of their lives. And that's not the way this thing can work. It's not going to work. You can't have a system where you take some people and you just say, oh, well, you really don't have to do anything. Don't worry. We'll take care of you. That's not fair to the people, and that's not fair to the state, and that's not fair to the rest of us who pay taxes. Okay? But on the other end of it, I got really sick. You know, I worked um, uh, for Ronald Reagan. Um, I was active in Republican politics for quite a while, and um, I realized that there is a, there's something fundamentally wrong. Okay? I watched – a very good friend of mine, Arlen Specter, Senator Arlen mm-hmm. Specter from Pennsylvania, get driven out yeah. of the Republican Party by the wackos. Okay, I'll tell you something. I always thought Barry Goldwater was the epitome of conservatism. If he were alive today serving in the Senate, he'd be driven out as a rhino. These people who call themselves conservative are not conservative. I don't know what they are. They're some sort of um, 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 social religious abortion. I mean, they consider – they don't worry at all about, about fiscal matters. They don't worry all about balancing the budget or any of that. They're worried about what bathroom people use or whether somebody's got to bake a cake. I mean, we've got to stand up to these people. But I can't stand up to the wackos on the right if I can't stand up to the wackos on the left. Also, I'm not terribly fair. <laughs> Let well, me explain geez. something. I, okay, I I modeled Maryland politics after Winston Churchill. What I found out was most people don't know about Winston Churchill is that he was a very poor member of a very rich family. I mean, his family had mansions and servants and palaces, and you know he grew up. He spent a lot of his childhood in Blenheim Palace which will rival most of the palaces that the, uh, that the royals have. Uh, the Duke of Marlborough's palace was one of the truly great ones, and Winston, uh, Winston Churchill spent most of his childhood there, but, but, but he never owned it. He never had the money. And then when he got out on his own, when he married Clemmy and he had to go out into the world and find his way, he was struggling. He didn't have the money that everybody else did. I mean, if he took a yacht to the south of France, it was somebody else's yacht, and he was along as a guest. I mean, it was one of those deals. He lived the high life, but he never – he couldn't afford it. So one of the things he did was he wrote. All through his career, he wrote for the, uh, the big London newspapers. And he was often would be on two, three, or four newspapers on the same Sunday. Um, but he had to keep the readership up because otherwise he wouldn't get the fees. So whenever he um, wanted to, like, rev up readership, he'd insult Mahatma Gandhi, <laughs> okay? I mean, he treated, um, um, he treated Mahatma Gandhi like I pick on poor what's-his-name, the council guy from, from Montgomery, or, you know, and he treated Adolf Hitler like I pick on Ben Jealous. Um, sometimes I joke that 
Maryland politics and I are the are the traffic crash on the information highway that backs everything up. I mean, do you ever get on like the Beltway and there's a crash and then you're backed up for hours? Yeah, like every day. And well, <laughs> yeah, because because people have got to slow down to watch the crash. Well, I'm the crash. They're slowing down for me, you know. <laughs> they 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 do they and then you get people to respond. You have people engage and some people they just don't quite know what to say or how to say it and lately Barry we've been talking about this gubernatorial election that has resulted in Ben Jealous winning the June 26th primary handily really just crushing mm-hmm. the, uh, the is an insurgent candidate from truly Ben Jealous is not a Marylander if we want to be fair, uh, he's he grew up in California. He spent, I think, some summers here. And I don't want to get my facts wrong, but I, I think that Larry Hogan, if I were running Larry Hogan's campaign, I would say, you know, if you really want to, one of the, the key criticisms is, is that Ben Jealous is not really a Marylander. He is someone from the outside that is seemingly using Maryland to launch his political career and i think that would be fair to say and i think there's some national aspirations there but ben jealous ran a campaign as an insurgent he beat the establishment virtually every establishment politician including senator chris van Hollen, a democrat brian frosh a democrat former governor martin o'malley a democrat uh, john delaney my congressman they endorsed rishern baker and rishern baker i believe until about six weeks out was the uh, the the presumptive Democratic nominee, and then we would have gone on to see what kind of campaign that he run. But then again, um, you know, I I'm I'm interested to to kind of get your feedback. Did Rashern Baker lose the race? Did Ben Jealous win it? And what do you think, Barry? Happened was what was the impact of? Kamenitz's death, because at the time, Barry, if you and I, and I remember this well, that polls had Kamenitz and Jealous splitting out the vote 13, 12 percent respectively. And our good friend, Dr. Cromer uh, from Goucher College, one of the very best people in the business who. Oh, God bless polls. her. She is wonderful. God bless her. She is the top notch in her field. And I also want to give a shout out to my good friend, um, Todd Everly, who uh, is a political scientist down in St. Mary's College um, in Southern Maryland. But Dr. Cromer is a uses data through information to pull out poll results, and she has done the most high-profile polling on this uh, the, the gubernatorial race from the very outset. So, Barry, do you think that – and this is, I think, a cause that we should – or an issue that we should explore – had Kevin Kamenitz not passed away, and may God rest his soul, that was a tragic death, and I, I felt awful for his family members, um, for his wife and two children. It's just a truly terrible tragedy that no one expected, and it upended Maryland politics in totality. Um, so do you think that if Kamenitz lived, maybe Rashern Baker would have still been the Democratic nominee? No. No, I've I've got to disagree there. I think if Kevin had lived, I think he would have been the nominee. Um, I think um, I'm going to sound petty, and so half your audience will think I'm completely nuts and just totally into myself. 
you know, some sort of self-aggrandizing move. But I lived in Chevrolet when, um, uh, when Rush Earn, you know, and Rush Earn still lives in Chevrolet. We went to the same church, Cumpk, C-U-M-C, Chevrolet United Methodist Church. Back when he used to go there, I went there. We belonged to the Chevrolet Pool Club. We, you know, we were in the same social circles. We had a lot of friends in common. I don't want to embarrass them by saying so, but, you know, he never spoke to me. His family managed never to speak to my family. I mean, there's a lot of people who think I'm a jerk, so I can live with that. But everybody loves my wife. And then when I found out that she got shunned by them, I started saying about two years ago, and if you go back over Maryland politics, you'll find out I said this. He's too inclusive. You know, I mean, he's too exclusive. He always looks to the same group of people. You know, I mean, if you weren't related to his wife, he's not really listening. Um, the school thing was going to be a disaster two years ago. And, you know, I wasn't trying to put him down as much. I was hopefully trying to get a message. I tried to call him. He would never take my calls. Um, I think he could have cleaned up the school mess. He could have put lipstick on that pig and sold it to the voters. I mean, it was possible. He could have taken some people who were crying for his scalp, who were very effectively calling for his scalp. He could have dealt with them. You know, he could have found some way to make friends with some of those people. He could have. He should have. He had the opportunity to clean up the mess. Yeah. A year, a year and a half, two years ago, I was saying, Rushern, put your house in order. He never did. He doesn't listen to people. So then you get to Ben Jealous, and there's people who got excited about Ben because Rushern was so completely boring. And unfortunately, you know, like, I really like some of the other candidates, um, but they couldn't catch with the voters. You know, it's sort of like, you know, back in my dating days, I found out that you could go on up and look a girl in the eye and I could tell whether or not she'd go out with me. And a fair number of them would and a fair number of them wouldn't, you know, like, but the, well, for whatever reason, the voters just didn't fall in love with the other candidates. Um, the weekend when we had that brunch um, was the first time I had ever really had the opportunity to talk to Kevin. Um, and, you know, I love Valerie. I mean, Valerie is, uh, you know, uh, I mean, when he picked her to be the lieutenant governor, I thought that was brilliant because I really like that woman. And then with her there, I talked to Kevin and I was thinking, this is our way out. This is, I mean, we could throw the whole thing to Kevin and he's going to take it. And then he didn't make it, you know. Real sorry, real, real sorry. Yeah, I feel bad for his wife and kids and the whole bit. It's a horrible circumstance. But I think he was right at the point where he could have surged. He had the money. Um, he sure did. He had and a, Valerie got and, none of that. Yep. And another thing and I wanted to – she got painfully treated. She was – yeah, I, I thought that what happened with Valerie – especially in the very beginning. I mean, look, she was thrusted into a position that nobody expected would happen. And the, the apps, the, the horrific occurred where her, her partner on the ticket passed away. Marilyn Law gave her five days to make up her mind. She went out and decided to, she went out and decided to, to run for office. And I give her credit for that. And then she ultimately then backed out um, and said that, Go ahead and support Rashern Baker. But I will say that I was disappointed to hear what she uh, had to say about how Ben Jealous 
was instrumental from her, you know, what she had claimed that Ben Jealous was instrumental in getting her fired from the Working Families Group. And so, Mm -hmm. and I, look, and I got to be honest with you, there's no reason for us not to believe Valerie's side of that story. And there's people who have backed it up and confirmed it. And Ben Jealous's team, including his communications director for his campaign, Kevin Harris, who no longer responds to any questions that I ask him, which is disappointing because I think that as a member of Maryland's media, I have asked him hard-hitting questions through text. I've given him the opportunity to respond. They don't do that. Maybe I just need to pick up the phone. I don't know what I need to do, Barry. If you have any suggestions, I'm, I'm all ears. But no, I, I think that uh, Ben Jealous um, had made a vital mistake in the way that he approached Valerie Irvin, basically calling her a liar. And if there's one thing I know about Valerie, say what you want, but she is not someone who doesn't tell the truth. She's not a liar. I thought it was disgusting the way that this campaign basically treated her. And then, you know, here she is and unemployed uh, was, and as she said, Ben Jealous worked to get her fired. And then she talked about some of the stories that occurred in the aftermath of uh, County Executive Kamenitz's death. It's sad. It's a sad situation, Barry. Well, I think it, I think it vindicates everything I've ever said about Ben. I mean, he handled it so poorly. He just turned him, he turned out to be a real stinker, and now we're stuck with him. And, you know, there's, there's a, a, a growing number of Democrats who are asking a very serious question, Ryan. This is the question of the season. Which is better, a bad Democrat or a good Republican? And that's kind of where we're at on these things. People have to decide now, do, you know, do I want to vote for someone who does not represent my values? Or they're looking at Governor Hogan, and I don't mean to insult Governor Hogan, though he'll probably wouldn't, he probably wouldn't agree, but I don't mean to insult him. But, you know, when you take a look at what he's done and the actuality of his first several years in office – He's nothing but a chubby, a non-musical version of Martin O'Malley. What's the difference? So he got rid of a couple tolls. Big deal. He's just Martin O'Malley, the Republican version. He hasn't been a terrible governor. You know, looking at the race as it stands, Barry, and look, we have literally four months until the election. What do you think is going to happen? Is it is is Hogan's popularity insurmountable, or do you believe that a national so-called blue wave, quote unquote, is going to affect Maryland politics? Is Larry Hogan immune from that, given his popularity, or is Ben Jealous going to form a massive coalition between Montgomery, PG County, port portions of Baltimore? maybe portions of Howard and Baltimore City, and overtake the popular governor? Well, let me tell you what I'm, what I'm thinking. Um, I think Hogan is going to do better than a Republican usually does in, in um, Prince George's County because, um, I mean, his roots go deep there. His father was a congressman there and a county executive there. Um, Hogan's been all over that county for quite a long time. 
I don't see it. I don't see uh, Prince George as being uh, being a blowout. Um, I think I. You know when when Anthony Brown lost, he didn't. I mean, a lot of it was he didn't get as much vote as he should have in certain places. So, I mean, he missed out on some crucial votes. I think Ben's going to have a tough time. I think there's going to be people who are going to have a tough time voting for him. Um, I think Hogan squeaks this one out. I'm thinking four more years. Well, let me tell you my impression, and I and I share Please. your sentiments. I, I can't predict what's going to happen in the race. I can only talk about what we have in front of us. And what we have in front of us, and if we're looking strictly at data today as it stands, Ben Jealous loses by, I don't know if it's a squeaker. I think Ben Jealous would lose handedly. And given Larry Hogan's popularity all around the states and virtually 20 of the 23 counties in Maryland, I can, I can tell you definitively that they, that he is popular. Now that doesn't mean that he's un, there's a certain element of unpopularity that is occurring in some of the more hard right circles where People are disappointed in him, in, and they say that he hasn't done enough to support guns, gun rights. Some people in Garrett County are upset with him about fracking. And I hear this talk and chatter that they're going to leave the gubernatorial put spot blank. They're not going to vote for any one of them. And that's, that's up to them. And, but I will tell you, my, my wife and I took our kids last night to – a annual event up in Western Maryland at Antietam Battlefield, the annual Salute to Independence, where the Maryland Symphony played, and we, we were there for several hours. Governor Hogan came up. It was the 33rd annual event, and he has a lot of play in Washington County, my home county, mm-hmm. where I grew up, born and raised, be, because Chris Shank is his right-hand man in state government. He was a former state senator, former state delegate, very influential, smart practical person that is working for the governor. So anyway, there were thousands of people there. I'd estimate between 15 and 20,000. I'd have to get the National Park Service's official count. Um, They typically release that um, a few days afterwards, but I'd estimate between 15 and 20,000 people. Nonetheless, Governor Hogan was a rock star last night. There was a presence, Barry, when he walked in there. Now, granted, it was Western Maryland, culturally more conservative, certainly very unlike in and, and distant from the Montgomery County where, uh, where I live, but he was embraced, received thunderous applause when he walked up on stage, presented a proclamation to the Maryland Symphony Orchestra. Barry, I see this all over the place, Eastern Shore, um, Northern, Southern Maryland, but here in Montgomery, PG County, you know it well, people say, oh, you know, Larry Hogan has major problems. And you can point to a number of issues that they're going to tackle him on. But is Ben Jealous the right guy to take him on? Because if we're looking at this in stark political terms, Barry, there is, there is a mile's worth of difference between Larry Hogan, who for all intents and purposes could be described fairly, I believe, as a moderate Republican, versus Ben Jealous, who is a left-wing Bernie Sanders Democrat – who would fall under the democratic socialist category. And I don't think that I'm being unfair saying that uh, when Ben Jealous has described multiple plans that he wants to put in place as governor, but 
hasn't really come up with a real plan to pay for it other than legalizing marijuana in any mass incarceration. So what do you think, Barry? I mean, the, the political terms are stark. Now, let me tell you, I mean, you can talk about Washington County, and God bless them, they're good people out there. That's God's country. I mean, I like Washington County. But, you know, of course you expect Hogan to do well. Of course you expect him to, uh, you know, to have a great night with great people. But I'll tell you where I was yesterday. I was in Park Heights, okay, the Park Heights section of Baltimore. Do you know that area at all? Uh, not far from Pimlico. I, I, I don't. Okay. Um, let's just say it's hard to find a block that doesn't have at least one burnt-out house or where one, you know, the row house in the middle has been t- torn down, I mean, where there's abandoned houses, where – I mean – it's a neighborhood fighting its way back, but it's fighting its way back. It's a good neighborhood with good people. And, you know, that's where George Mitchell has got the Langston Hughes Center. So I went to see the Langston Hughes Center, and I expected it to be like one big meeting room, and that was about it. And then I find out it's 45,000 square feet where every day there's some program for – and it's overwhelmingly black. I mean, it's black kids. They come in, they use the computers, they do their homework, they play basketball. It's a black, it's a black community center in the middle of a neighborhood that's still fairly rough. And do you know what you see when you walk in hanging right there in the main entrance? Picture of Larry Hogan. Yeah. I mean, when, wow. you know, I mean, when you realize that, okay, People assume that Larry Hogan doesn't care about inner city people. He doesn't care about Baltimore. I hear this stuff all the time. He doesn't care about black people. Uh, I mean, all he wants to do is put black people in prison. I mean, I hear this crazy nonsense all the time. But yet, when they needed a computer center, when they needed to get the kids on computers to do homework, to do their um, uh, to uh, uh, to do their schoolwork, to learn job skills. Okay, Um, Larry Hogan went to bat and got them to the computers and helped with that center. Um, And that that guy's working his tail off all over the state. Um, You know, when you get right down to it, he hasn't done that much differently than Martin O'Malley. There has been no big swings. You know, there's been no mass changes. I mean, it's sort of like the difference between George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was more conservative, but George H.W. talked more conservative. You know, I mean, we see this all the time. It's, you know, perception is not always reality. And I think we're going to find out that um, um, I, think it's going to, I, I think it's going to be a tough year for Ben. Yeah. Besides, well, there's an awful lot of Hillary people who are still mad, you know. Well, that's true. And I will tell you that another race that I'm following very closely, Barry, and we should know something in, you know, the next 20 minutes or so that the the Montgomery County election, the the executive race that has still undecided. And I'm what I am hearing. And if you're listening to the show, it looks like that Mark Elrich, his lead is going to hold. And he should probably be declared the winner tonight of the executive race. And that's not to say that 
that lawyers will be on this for David Blair, but it looks like a real squeaker. But I'm I'm hearing from my sources that Mark's going to pull this out. I think that's a pretty safe bet from everything I've heard. I think he yeah. looks. I think he looks pretty strong. Um, well, that is also going there, to. Yeah, I mean, sorry. that's going to be an interesting race because now that Mark Elrich could be become the nominee for the Democrats, uh, Nancy Florine, our city, our county councilwoman, is considering launching an independent bid. That is, if she can get past any of the hurdles as far as the the legislation, or I'm sorry, not the legislation, but rather the voter registration. So we'll find out. So um, we'll we'll see what happens. I loved where um, where we're in discussing Mark. Nancy said something to the effect of, "I don't know whether he's a socialist or a Marxist." Yeah. Um, I just found that it particularly humorous. I think I think if she's in the race, it's <laughs> it's, it's going to be a wild ride. And you know something, I really like Robin Ficker. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I want him in office, but I have found Robin Ficker to be highly amusing for years and years. So he's going to spice things up. Yeah, what's and, your take you on You know, he's Ficker. got a good chunk of money. He, he does, but he's also run several times, and people generally view him with skepticism. What's your take on Ficker? What's the unvarnished take? I have to assume that every time he runs for office, it's good advertising for his uh, for his law practice. Um, I've got to suspect that, you know, I mean, he seems to be doing fine. So I think he likes running. I think he likes meeting people. And I, I you know, I think this is I think he loves the attention. Um, that's a good that's a good guess. And I I tend to agree with you. And I think that. Ficker sometimes light on substance, but he's not he's not stupid in any way possible. This man is I mean he's he's somewhat of a showman. And if you see him out on stage and if you have watched his career and 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 I think that it could be interesting to see if the vote splits off and if Ficker gets more votes than we think. But then again, people know Ficker in Montgomery County, and a lot of the Democrats just really don't like him. And that's something that is self-created. I somehow suspect some of them don't like me either, but, you know, it's not bothering me. Um, <laughs> not everybody's going to like you. I mean, people don't like me, They, but people can't place me. They say, oh, he's a he's a the right wing says, oh, he's a left winger. The right wing says, or the left wing says he's a, yeah, I get people all the time that are in the Mark Elrich camp um, say, oh, you know, he's a right wing blogger and, and, and all this junk. And I'm just like, you know what? I am me. I put out the information. I put out the fact. I cover the story. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to read. You don't have to listen. But people need to relax in politics a little bit. You know, um, I've got to tell you, uh, uh, I did find you a little hard to take at first until I figured <laughs> you out. Um, you know, I, I, and I don't mean to insult you at all. It's, no, it's but not. yeah, I mean that whole thing about Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, and then I almost my tiny little brain almost exploded when you endorsed George um, George Leventhal. Um, 
<laughs> he didn't know what to make of you. You know, George was really, really mean to me early on when I first started Maryland politics. Which Is that got right? George onto the bat. Yep, yep. He was quite rude, um, and that got him onto the bad guy list. And he's just sort of stuck on the bad guy list forever. Hmm. Well, you know. One of these days, we'll get you and George in a room, and have you talked to him? Have you had a conversation with George since, uh, you know, maybe at the Democratic event that was held last month, or two months ago, I should say? Never. Never had the chance to meet George. You know, one of the things is is that um, um, I've got a couple issues going on. Um, My eyesight is failing. Um, I no longer drive. So getting around the state is not nearly as easy as it used to be. Um, uh, so I, I work very hard to keep what I have to do going. And then as far as things like Maryland politics, um, it, fills in, it fills in the rest of the time, but it gets a little bit consuming. I mean, for the last number of months, I've been getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to read the Post in the Sun. Um, yeah. And then your blog, and um, I used to read Seventh State, but after that lunch where uh, where we got together, I decided not to link to him anymore. Was that not a nice person? He just, <laughs> he just, you know, I, I think he, I think he took some of the stuff I said too seriously. I mean, you know, like I joke for years about, you know, that, um, you know. Uh, that David uh, wrote a good article this time, or, you know, I don't like David as much as I like Adam, or, you know, whatever. I'd make some comment, and he seemed to take it too seriously. And he, he was decidedly unfriendly at, at the lunch, and, you know, I get that. You know, I don't blame him. I probably deserve all of it. But, you know, um, I feel that there's plenty out there. As far as stirring the pot, some people call it stirring the pot. Some people call me a rabble-rouser. But you know something? Those people they want to think of as rabble are citizens. They're voters. They're people who want to make a difference. They're people who want to provide for their families and their children and a better, better home and a better city and a better state. They're the people who are looking and trying to figure out what to do next. And the, um, um, the elite intelligentsia wants to tell them what they should think. And you know something? I don't tell them what to think. I tell them what I think. And then I stir the pot enough that hopefully they start considering some of the things they haven't considered before. I think a thinking voter's base scares the heck out of some of the, especially Montgomery County elites. Well, uh, I've noticed that if you're not in with a certain crowd in Montgomery County, you're almost uh, not even communicated with or thought of or Scene. And, you know, I, I do this show as a public courtesy, and I really enjoy doing it. I get together, and I, I sit down, and I plan out the show. I, I consider my questions carefully, and I put together pieces on a aminordetail.com, and I, I, I do my due diligence. I get accused of all, ki- accused of all kinds of different uh, – I'm in the tank for this person, or I'm working on behalf of this person, and really I'm just putting out facts. I mean, I, I really tend to do fact-based journalism with – little analysis and commentary because I think that people appreciate more so just the facts, you know, as the old saying goes, just the facts, ma'am. So, you know, 
I, I think that you and I share a love or a passion for sometimes being a provocateur. I might post something just to get a response. And I mean, what I mean by that, Barry, is that I, I like to have, I like to have uh, dialogue with people, and I might throw something out there to say, oh, I know this is controversial, so let's get somebody to – we'll get a thread going here. And after, you know, after an hour or so, hundreds of people have commented on it or hundreds of comments have been made rather. So – I, I, sometimes what you, you throw out there, you, you kind of see what uh, what sticks and what doesn't. And I know the articles that uh, I have written that are going <laughs> to uh, drive up the numbers on the on the uh, on my analytics and what what is read and what isn't. So and I pay attention to all that because look, I'm running the media operation here, so I gotta I gotta cater to the audience. You know, Ryan, as far as that goes, I find that every time I insult progressives, particularly Ben Jealous, my, um, my membership goes crazy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a huge thing. If I really want to stir up traffic and stir up new members, all I've got to say is, you know, something about Ben Jealous drinking in New York City nightclubs. Um, that really stirs <laughs> They don't like that one. That one like really that. bothers them. Well, I think what uh, people need to understand is that you have a sense of humor, and people have taken uh, – sometimes they, they read what you say, and they say, is he serious? And the best thing to do is reach out, have a conversation. And I want to – you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the show. We got a lot – we talked a lot about who you are, how you started the page, um, what you see, where you see the page going. And I can only see your membership growing and I'm hoping that this this show helps bring new people into the famous Maryland politics fold. But I want to say this about our Democratic elected one Democratic elected official in the state of Maryland. I have no doubt that Peter Franco, and I, I continue to say this, and I mean it because I think it's true. I, fundamentally, I think it's true. Peter Franco will go on to be Maryland's most popular elected Democrat in years. He'll definitely have the biggest vote total this time out. There's no doubt in my mind. Nobody's going to come close to his vote total. Um, even even when um, when Mike and Mike, Mike Miller and Mike Bush are telling people not to vote for Peter. You know, they actually did that on their slates. They did not color in Peter's box. They, they were telling people not to vote for him. Um, yeah. And he still came out as the top vote getter. Uh, some people want yeah. In fact – Early on, people suspected that I was not a real person, that um, <laughs> some people thought that Lynn Foxwell was actually writing my stuff and that, you know, or whatever. I mean, there was all these crazy theories and that I was somehow a plant for Peter or on Peter's payroll or, you know, all that. Um, I'm going to let you in on the secret. Just you and your thousands and thousands of, uh, <laughs> of uh, thousands and thousands of listeners. I hope so. I found that because I was saying nice things about Jolene Ivey all the time, the group was getting out of balance. You can't always say nice things about her. So I thought, well, I need to have a distraction. I have to find some more nice people. So I started looking around, and one of the nicest people I found was Peter Franchot. So yeah. I start building him up as, as this incredible Democrat. And then I found out that he wasn't just what I was saying. He was that much more. He was um, – I rarely have ever seen anybody who's willing to do so much to help so many people in so many ways um, 
that most of them never get mentioned. You know, uh, people people come on up to uh, Peter and catch him at you know when he's giving them giving them coin or a medal out somewhere, and they'll come up to him with some problem, and then Peter gets back to the office and tries to get everybody to fix it. And it's not just things related to the comptroller's office; it's all sorts of things. People looking for jobs, people looking for help, people looking for opportunity. Peter's always fighting for the little guy. And, you know, that is the best of the Democratic Party. You know, when we're the ones fighting for the little people, to, you know, the voters, the average people, to make their lives better, that's when this thing really works. This is not about, you know, kissing up to children living in their mother's basements posting about Ben Jealous. This is about helping real people with real families and real problems. Well, I like that when I like that when you are attacked, you let it roll right off your back and you don't take it personally, but you also in a way I can appreciate is that the people attack you, you swing back. And that is refreshing sometimes. And I, I will say that watching you hit back on some people that I can't do it because then, you know, I people would say oh, he's not fair or, you know, and I, I'm sure I already get that. But I like it that you don't take you, you don't just lay down and take it. You throw punches back and people just don't know how to respond sometimes. And it's great. Uh, it's it's interesting to me. But, uh, you know, we're going to have fun on this Maryland politics page. I look forward to all the upcoming articles, and I've taken just a brief sabbatical from a minor detail. I'll be back oh, in no. the next day or so. No, oh, I just I needed a okay. break. I've written a lot sure. from <laughs> the primary took so much time. And so uh, I, I anticipate that um, uh, starting tomorrow when they announce the, the election results for the Montgomery County executive race and Look, I, my coverage here is skewed, Barry, because I live in Montgomery County, and I typically cover mm-hmm. a lot of Montgomery County politics. They are absent a local newspaper, um, which is disappointing, but nonetheless, I, I, I hope that I can fill some void. And I know 7th State, and as you said once, that very snooty David Lublin. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, you said that was funny. Um, and I, you know, I, know I, I don't know David well, but my friend – my first interaction with David, and, and this is, uh, I'm you know kind of an indifferent circumstance. I I mispronounced his last name, but he was very quick to remind me that it's not Lublin, it's Lublin, and I said I'm very sorry. And so, um, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't mean mispronounce your name. I think I know what got him mad with me. I yeah. I made some jokes about the shadowy Lublin clan. <laughs> supporting um, the the senator who ran for governor. Um, I was kidding, you know. I mean, I didn't mean. I guess I guess maybe shadowy Lublin clan sounded bad or something, but I think that's what pushed him over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, everybody in politics sometimes needs to have a sense of humor, but. Barry, let's um, let's kind of end on a final thought where you see this Maryland politics, not just the group, but in in general as a as a as a movement. Where do you see what do you see happening? Any predictions you're willing to make? Um, it looks like uh, 
Johnny O should be the nominee for the county executive over in Baltimore County. Angela also Brooks. I mean, these, they're not going to have any opposition. Um, depending what happens with a recount, who knows there, I'm sure there's going to be a recount in Montgomery because I anticipate it's going to be close or, you know, within about 60 votes. So, um, any any final predictions or where you see politics moving in the state? Yeah, I think it's going to be a rough season. I think it's going to be a rough four years for Mike and Mike. I think boss politics has taken a big hit. Some of their key people, uh, you know, I mean, the whole plan was um, when when Mike when Mike Miller dies or gets run over by a bus or something, Mac Middleton was going to take over his spot. Well, that plans down the drain. Then, you know, the key, uh, uh, you know, the key chorus of people up, uh, they lost three of their most important senators in Baltimore. That's a real problem for them. Um, I think if anything, it's going to help loosen up Mike's control of the Senate. Um, I'm not sure Bush could make it through the, uh, through the general. I think he's going to have a struggle. I think his health is against him. Um, he has that that young lady who acting as his puppet running for the Senate seat. She'll win. But I I think the boss's control has been shaken up badly. And I think a lot of it has to do with Peter Franchot standing up against the special interests. Um, I think I think things are getting better. I think we have to continue to push. I think we have to hold these people accountable for the, the evil that they sow across our state. We have to push back. So I'm going to keep pushing, and I really appreciate that you do too. Well, I appreciate that, and I always appreciate when you plug me because any any sort of mention is is uh, always helps with people coming to the site and paying attention. And I I'm trying to do something that's a little bit outside of the box with the radio, with the podcast, and with uh, with writing about things. And I, I I'm not in a certain category. I'm yeah I I've, I I've taken on Republicans, Democrats, independents, and just try to put out the facts and get out the story. Look, there's some good publications out there. I, I, I think that Bethesda Beat is doing a pretty decent job in, in Montgomery mm-hmm. County. Absolutely, yep. I think uh, Maryland Matters is doing um, – they're doing some old-school reporting. Josh Kurtz has been building a brand for uh, a few years now, and Lou Peck uh, – there, there. Oveta Wiggins at the Post is doing some great work, and um, I, <laughs> I should mention my my uh, our, our mutual friend um, Michael Dresser, who you've often brought up in in Maryland politics blog. Um, you know, he's out writing and covering state politics, and he's been doing that for several years. Do you mind so, if I make a comment right here. Sure, please. I got it from a highly reliable source that um, uh, Michael Dresser's wife was accepting money from the Ben Jealous campaign, um, people involved in somehow getting Ben in office. So I contact Michael, and um, rather than say, no, that's silly, or no, that's not true, or no, I'd never do that, or if I did it, I'd put in a disclaimer, anything, he just told me to go to hell. <laughs> makes you understand how people could get mad enough to make an angry visit to a newsroom. Now, I would never do that. But, you know, these people should keep in mind that we're in a crazy time and that reporters owe it to the public to watch their credibility. If, uh, if somebody – I mean, if you or I or Michael Dresser takes money from one of the campaigns, 
then we should say so. I have periodically, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I will periodically keep track of everything I've ever gotten from uh, Peter Franchot, which now consists of um, some really good coconut shrimp, two beer glasses, and, um, and a medal and a, a, a proclamation. Yeah, I saw the proclamation. And that's, that's cool. And that's the most I ever got from anybody. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, we need to be honest. And Michael Dresser needs to come clean. He should say, yes, I took the money or no, I didn't take the money. But just telling me to go to hell is not a good answer. <laughs> well, you know, it's I can't speak for Michael Dresser, but uh, yeah, I well, think actually, he's I was just speaking to Michael because I know they read your um, they've got to listen to your blog. Um, cast and you know and they read your columns so you're a very important news source so by saying this i'm sure that people at the sun will be saying did you hear what they said last night and which is good <laughs> well like i said any listeners that i can get whether it's from the baltimore sun or the post or from the yeah the herald mail or the cumberland times news or all the way on the eastern shore um i'll take it but um barry um it's it was a pleasure having this conversation i I, we need to get together um, over uh, a dinner sometime soon and talk more. And I know people will say, oh, well, why did, why did he bring Barry O'Connell? He says all this stuff, and we don't agree with it, and uh, you know, he, he kind of throws these things out there. Well, look, my job is not to appease everyone. I, I do a minor detail radio podcast because I try to find the most interesting and unique people agree with them or not. I bring them on and we have a conversation and it humanizes people because sometimes people don't always know that you're, you're a regular guy sitting behind a computer screen with opinions, just like anybody else. And you put your stuff out there where, whereas other people may not be as willing to say what's on their mind and you do that. And I find that fascinating. So like I said, I will always bring on, people to the show even with whom i disagree and many times that's just that's just so the case i um my personal politics may not align with theirs but i certainly want to have a conversation want to have a discussion and um i stick strictly to maryland i try not to go outside of maryland politics uh so i try to get the newsmakers news breakers and people who drive content and influence the conversation to come on and talk to me and most people do some people won't working on trying to get the governor, working on trying to get a few other folks. Uh, some people, you know, Barry, I have to tell you, some people have turned me down in the past. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to – Neil Parrott has turned me down. I have asked Neil Real- Parrott to come on before. Um, but that's not surprising because Neil Parrott is out in la-la land with his politics. I mean the guy's a very right wing, and he says and does some things that I that are deeply – uh, politically disturbing to many folks. So we'll, we'll, you know, maybe one of these days he'll come on and answer for some of his personal politics. Maybe one of these nights I'm going to have to come back and I'll, I'll explain to you um, uh, the biblical mandate for legalized abortion. That always hmm. revs up the red, uh, oh, uh, revs up the Republicans. Yeah. Well, let's do that. Barry, I sincerely appreciate your time tonight. It means a lot to me that you took time out of your Sunday on a summer day, which, thank goodness, there wasn't too much humidity. But nonetheless, I I appreciate that you took time out of your day to talk to me. You are welcome here at any time, and I'm sure we're going to get together sometime soon. 
sit down and talk some more Maryland politics. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this evening. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Barry, you have a great week. Keep up the the great work. Keep driving the conversation and uh, keep putting it all out there. So with that, I, I appreciate your time. And Barry, you have a great week. Okay. Good night. Take care. All right. Cheers. Thanks. All right, folks. That was Maryland politics editor, administrator, Barry O'Connell. And we had a great conversation. Interesting guy, had the position on a lot of these issues that affect Maryland politics. Fascinating person. And like I said earlier in the conversation, soon we're going to break some news about what's going to happen with Montgomery County's executive race. We don't know. I'm hitting the refresh page on the State Board of Elections. My sources at the Board of Elections are telling me, including our good friend and Silver Spring or Montgomery County correspondent, Lara Stewart, who is sitting with Mark Elridge, they say that Mark's going to pull this out. It looks like it looks like Mark Elridge is going to win this thing. And it looks like by only a few votes that many of the provisional ballots have been rejected. Maybe Laura will call in. Let me see if I can get Laura on the horn. Let's see. Maybe we can get a live uh, take on what's going on. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text her now. I'm going to say I'm live on the air, and we still have a few minutes left in the show. And this was all about Barry O'Connell, but now we got to move on. I'm live on the air, and would you like to call into the show to report what's happening? Maybe she will. She will be our on-the-ground correspondent. Man, this would be fun. We could break some news tonight. Um, I don't know what the vote total is, but Laura has told me that the county has rejected some of the provisional ballots and that Mark's total is holding. So we'll see what happens. I mean, by this morning or this afternoon, Mark Elridge was leading by 86 votes with 37,510 to David Blair's 37,424 votes. They're each at 29%. So that it's just just fascinating that it has come down to this many to this little amount of votes between the two, and I suspect, of course, that a recount will be initiated. Uh, I suspect that uh, whomever the victor is will likely declare victory tonight, of course. But we don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that it's going to come down to the wire here, and uh, maybe Laura Stewart, our good friend who lives in District 18, who was on the show. Last week, as a panelist, come on, Mara, are you there? I'm going to ask her. If she's listening, she's probably not. She's probably talking to Mark Elrich right now, and they might be jumping up and having beers and drinks here soon. Um, But it looks like that Mark Elrich is probably going to pull out the county executive race by, I'd say, within 50 to 100 votes, ousting or beating David Blair, rather. And we'll see what happens. As as our president would say, we'll see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm hearing that Mark Alridge could potentially take the election tonight as they are counting the final ballots, the provisional ballots, many of which have been tossed out, to, not to see, but tossed out. And so we'll find out what's happening in this very close election for Montgomery County, Montgomery County executives between 
between David Blair and Mark Elridge, the two top vote getters um, in the election here. So, oh, Laura saw my message on Facebook. I would love for her to call in to explain just what the scene is. That would be great. That would be some good radio. She could describe it in detail, and she is responding. I see the little Facebook icon that says she is responding, um, and uh, maybe she'll report what's going on. If Laura does that, that would be terrific because I'm sure that people are paying attention. Oh, she's not in the room. That's okay. That's okay. Maybe we'll get her on the show. 646-716-5971 is the number, Laura. And if you're listening, that would be great because I have listeners out there that are probably thinking, what is going on with the Montgomery County executive race? We know who won the at-large race. We know who won the District 1 race. We know who won the District 3 race, but the county executive race is still undecided. Man, it's close. I, I anticipate that there will be a legal challenge. There will be a recount, and I believe that the recount, if it's within a certain percentage or 0.1%, that it will be paid for. So – I think Mark Elrich will be very happy tonight. David Blair, of course, the businessman, first-time candidate, has come so close by the Washington Post, picked up a lot of momentum towards the end of the, the race. Mark Elrich, the longtime county councilman at large of Tacoma Park. So we may find out who is finally going to win as I continue to hit refresh, refresh, refresh on the State Board of Elections website. It will be announced. I received a tweet earlier. Um, let's see. I received a tweet earlier from looks like State Senator Cheryl Kagan. She was she's there that the staff estimate that there are eight batches, perhaps uh, two less than two hundred votes to be scanned tonight. So we will find out. Um, you can probably follow this on Twitter. See what's going on. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be announced sometime, I guess, within the next uh, hour or less, hopefully. Um, well, I'm sure we'll find out soon. So with that, I guess we'll go ahead and end the show. Barry O'Connell was a fabulous guest tonight. Anyway, thanks for listening. As always, we're here every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. live, and then this Broadcast will be recorded and turned into a podcast for your listening pleasure. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Follow us on aminordetail.com. Have a great week.